Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, November 28th. It's our weekly Monday look at what's happening in state politics and government. And today we're devoting the entire podcast to how laws governing abortion in our area continue to play out with confusion and sometimes devastating effect. While voters in Kansas this year voted to affirm that abortion rights should remain in place in the state constitution, Missouri, lacking such a constitutional protection, implemented a near-total ban on abortion just minutes after the U.S. Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade in June. Missouri's so-called trigger law, passed by the Missouri legislature back in 2019 to take effect once that decision was handed down, contains an important exception. Not for cases of incest or rape, which are not considered exceptions to the ban, but rather in case of, quote, medical emergency. But the law doesn't explain exactly what a medical emergency is, or if doctors can begin treating a patient before a medical situation becomes so dire that lives are at stake. And that's a problem for hospitals, since performing an abortion in violation of that law carries a felony charge and up to 15 years in prison. Today, we're bringing you a portion of a conversation about the case of Melissa Farmer, who at 17 weeks pregnant was told by doctors at a hospital in Joplin that her baby would not survive delivery, and that she would first have to wait for her baby to die inside her. Her doctors recommended terminating the pregnancy, but because of Missouri's abortion ban, it couldn't happen at their hospital. Now, her case has become the subject of a Department of Justice investigation, the first known of its kind by the Biden administration, into whether the hospital violated federal law by refusing to perform an abortion as emergency medical care. St. Louis Public Radio's Sam Wiesentowski spoke about the case and why it matters with Michelle Banker, Director of Reproductive Rights and Health Litigation at the National Women's Law Center, who represents Melissa Farmer. And also he was joined by Susan Such, health and public policy reporter for the Springfield News Leader. Here's an edited portion of their conversation. Susan, I'd like to start with you. How did you meet Melissa Farmer, and and what did she tell you about her situation? Uh, Melissa actually emailed me shortly after this whole situation transpired and told me her story. Uh, She had, at 17 weeks and five days, had her water broke in her pregnancy, and because of the Missouri law that had been passed, while the doctors that she had seen at Freeman Hospital said that generally the best course of action would be inducing labor... They said specifically in her medical records that Missouri law supersedes their judgment. And so she, from there, went on a harrowing journey and ended up having to travel out of state to receive care for this um, medical condition that her doctors said they couldn't treat her for. Yeah. And and Michelle, you know, what what was Melissa's options at this point? She's she's turned away from the very hospital and the doctor's who know what she's going through and have given their best recommendation, but it can't happen in that hospital. Melissa was truly afraid for her life at that point, and she she left Freeman without receiving the care she needed and actually traveled out of state to University of Kansas Hospital, um, a three-hour drive, 
Um, and the same thing happened to her there. Um, the doctors determined that the pregnancy was not viable and recommended inducing labor and then was told by the legal department at that hospital as well, just as a freeman, that um, they couldn't provide the care she needed and she was discharged and went, went home. Um, and it wasn't until a few days you know, after she initially had her water break that she was able to get the care she needed um, another four and a half hours away um, in Illinois. Now, I wanted to talk about this this piece of Missouri law, part of that ban around what a medical emergency is. And certainly that's what Melissa was encountering. Michelle, tell us a bit about why this wasn't a medical emergency under Missouri's law. Why, why couldn't she get that exception? Well, quite frankly, Missouri's law isn't A model of clarity. Um, The doctors determined that this was absolutely an emergency and that she needed to have uh, medical intervention. You know, at that point, she had a risk of infection, of sepsis, of hemorrhage, um, of blood clots due to her medical history, and even of death. But nonetheless, the legal department at both hospitals determined that they couldn't provide the care. Quite frankly, that was actually a violation of federal law, um, because federal law would have required care in this situation. Right. And that that aspect of federal law will become important to this investigation that we're going to talk about in just a bit. Susan, I wanted to to ask you about this as well. Um, The definition of of medical emergency in that Missouri ban, it says that that situation would, quote, necessitate the immediate abortion of pregnancy to avert the death of a patient or for which a delay will create a serious risk of substantial and irreversible physical impairment of a major bodily function of that pregnant person, you know, Melissa, in this case. You actually were able to see some of the, the, the documents that Melissa's doctors had submitted describing their decision. What did you learn about how they interpreted this law and, and why they said, Melissa, you have to go somewhere else? They listed out the, the different um, potential complications, the, the um, issues that she might face, but said that because of Missouri law, it superseded their judgment. Um, part of that, and from what I've gleaned talking from talking to other um, healthcare lawyers, is also the idea that there's a concern that the emergency has to be imminent, that the person has to be experiencing a fever, has to be an, an active infection, has to have their blood pressure plummeting before doctors can intervene, and that was kind of the case as to what the hospital seemed to feel with. Melissa as well. From Melissa's perspective, um, in your story that you published for the Springfield News Leader, she described, you know, the options presented as basically, quote, sit and wait in the hospital for however long it took for her heartbeat to either stop or for infection to set in or for me to bleed to death. We didn't like those options. That was Melissa's description of, of what this felt like to her. Susan, what, what did she tell you about how she wrestled with this moment and, and what did it feel like for her? She was devastated. Um, I know that she had mentioned that this was a very wanted pregnancy. They already had a name for um, their little girl, Maeve. And so to be presented with these terrible options, you know, either just sit there and wait or become sicker, she was devastated. I I don't know what other word to use for that. And Michelle, you know this this devastation that that Melissa encountered, and a you know a, a medical emergency she had to resolve herself. Is this is this common to what other women are experiencing around the country, or did did this case in Missouri expose something new? So this this isn't new. Um, you know, for for many many years, folks have 
experienced similar issues where they've gone to an emergency department with a pregnancy-related emergency and been denied care because of hospital policy or a provider's refusal to provide that care. Um, now, however, we're in a world that without Roe versus Wade following Dobbs, um, states are banning abortion and there's a lot of legal chaos. But what is clear is that federal law required this care. So, you know, unlike, you know, the language of the Missouri statute, which is vague and and could be interpreted quite narrowly, federal law does not require you to be on the brink of death before a situation is considered an emergency and the hospital is required to provide care. Um, There's a federal statute called EMTALA, um, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, and uh, that statute um, says that if if someone's health is in serious jeopardy, there's a medical emergency and an emergency department must stabilize the patient. Again, you don't have to be on the brink of death for that to happen. Michelle, this point that you're making, that you don't have to wait until you're on the brink of death, is that how doctors are interpreting this law of what a medical emergency is, that they have to get closer to the emergency? They can no longer prevent terrible things from happening. And certainly allowing someone to get to the point of medical emergency is allowing damage to happen. It's putting that person in a much worse situation than helping them beforehand. Are doctors being forced to wait because of these definitions? Yeah, I mean, to be clear here, you know, the doctors recognized that this was an emergency. The doctors knew that um, Ms. Farmer was at risk of serious infection, hemorrhage, or death, and the doctor's medical judgment was overridden. And so doctors are put in a impossible situation between complying with the law, you know, or risking their their licenses, their freedom if they're criminally prosecuted, or, you know, at the same time, not providing the care that they've taken the Hippocratic Oath to provide. And Susan, when the news of this investigation came out, there was actually some confusion over where the initial complaint came, that, that a complaint is necessary for this kind of investigation to happen. But in some of those early reports, it wasn't clear whether Melissa had filed it or whether it had come from some other place. Tell us a bit about, about that moment and, and this confusion over where the complaint uh, arose from. So I had actually found out about the complaint. I had gotten a tip from somebody on the 26th and spent the next couple of days trying to track it down, submitting sunshine requests. And like you said, we didn't know where the complaint came from. And it really kind of came into the broader public consciousness when Missouri State House Representative Crystal Quaid uh, submitted sunshine requests to the AG's office, um, the Department of Health and Senior Services, as well as the governor's office regarding these. Although I know in the motion filed by the National Women's Law Center, they did mention that she had a concerning phone call. Hmm. Michelle, can you tell us about that phone call and, and what was concerning about it? So our understanding is that CMS had initiated this complaint on their own. But what the normal processes are for EMTALA investigations, long predating kind of the current uh, post-Row world that we're in, is for CMS to refer cases to state health departments to investigate. And so that is what happened here, is, is CMS initiated this investigation and then sent it to the Department of Health and Senior Services to investigate. 
But uh, Melissa, Ms. Farmer, <laughs> didn't know that that's what happened. All she knew is that she had received a call from the Department of Health and Senior Services. And at first, it, it wasn't clear who was calling. It wasn't clear why they were asking her questions. It wasn't clear what the purpose of the investigation was or why they wanted to speak to her. And so she asked them to write a letter to us, to her attorneys, um, making it clear what the purpose of the investigation was. But um, that never happened. We never heard from the Department of Health and Senior Senior Services, um, which is why we then went and filed a complaint directly to CMS. We thought it was really important for Ms. Farmer to have the opportunity to share her story directly with uh, the federal government, um, in part because, um, you know, the, the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services is partially responsible for enforcing the state's abortion ban. Um, the state has a demonstrated hostility to abortion. And of course, you know, this sort of procedure was quite concerned. You know, the whole process was quite concerning. It, it was very confusing and and understandably stressful for Ms. Farmer, given all the speculation about the purpose of the investigation. But given that they never responded um, and, and reached out to, to speak to us, you know, we had some concerns about um, the state conducting this investigation. And so we wanted to ask the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to investigate um, and assess uh, what happened um, independently. That was St. Louis Public Radio's Sam Wiesentowski speaking with Michelle Banker of the National Women's Law Center and Susan Such of the Springfield News Leader last week on St. Louis on the Air. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, you can visit kcur.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive.